0: I am Grant Gustin and you're listening to The Flash Podcast.
1: And welcome back to the Flash Podcast, your podcast for all things related to CW's The Flash, starring Grant Gustin as Barry Allen slash The Flash. I want to be host Andy B, as always, and I'm so happy to have the entire gang. We have our fellow co-hosts Scott Murray, Amory, and Lauren Galloway. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Very good.
2: Super, super fantastic.
1: Yeah, we. Um, as you can tell, we're all excited to talk about this, and because this is a, is a big discu- discussion we're gonna have, we're gonna skip you know any news pieces. So on, head over to theflashpokers.com to see any news that may have come out about the Flash uh, in the past recent days. And um, the only thing I'm just gonna say on air is you know at the time of recording, it's December second, and technically, and this is technically the Flash Podcast's second birthday. So happy birthday to us! Yeah, uh, happy birthday! Yeah, well, happy birthday. It's been so many episodes, so much we've done, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, happy birthday and and too many more. So, let's get into the Legends of Flair crossover with, let's start with initial reactions of the whole crossover.
3: Uh, As a whole, I thought it was pretty good. Um, One thing that really stands out for me is, I mean, man, they they shoved a lot of characters into this thing, and at times (laughs) it's almost a little crowded. Uh, is how many people they have to have, say lines and have to do things. When inevitably, this is just all about, you know, really setting up Legends of Tomorrow. And as far as that's concerned, I thought I thought it's a nice little kind of set the table story for Legends of Tomorrow more than anything else. Um, as episodes alone, I think they're I think it was okay, but I I think that they were juggling so many things, trying to make the most out of it, while really I still think this is about setting up Legends. You know, I thought it was it was relatively fun to watch, but it it like I said to me it it felt like much more of a table setter, a good table setter for um, what we what everybody's going to be up against when uh, Legends of Tomorrow comes out.
0: I loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. These might be my favorite Arrow and Flash episodes to date, and not just as a crossover cause there's only been one other one, but like overall episodes of both shows, I, I love them. I think, I, I think I really enjoyed the flash one in terms of humor because Felicity and Cisco were just killing their one liners about, um, like Grant or Barry Allen called Damien dark flock of seagulls, which I thought yes. was hilarious. Um, Gosh, there's so many, like, in the Arrow episode, Thea made a reference to the Avengers. Which she was, said oh some- my god! <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? She said something like... was in oh, a farmhouse. She-
1: I think I've seen a movie about that. I think
0: I've seen a movie yeah. about that, yeah. I, I, was, I, I understood humor, that reference. I thought the humor was so fantastic. But it had a really intense arc, too. And I love how we weren't spoiled on the fact that Oliver was going to have to deal with the possibility of becoming a father. Or the fact that Barry was going to have to use time travel to reset the experience. So I, I was really glad that that was kind of left out of all the trailers.
1: And what did you think, Amy? And you know, and, and also, like, did you did you enjoy this crossover more than last year's, or is the the first one still maybe a little bit better?
2: See, for me, this is the crossover that I've always wanted to be able to have, and it's a crossover that uh, we had talked about this last year when we talked about the crossover episode that. It, it, we Last year, we wouldn't have been able to have this type of an intensive crossover where really it did not feel like two separate shows. And I think we can probably all agree on this. It felt like one literally two-hour episode because I feel like unlike last year when you were on the Flash side, it was like 80% Flash, 20% Arrow and vice versa on Arrow. I feel like it was pretty evenly matched on both sides. I mean, you had serious plot development with uh, Oliver's and Felicity happening on the Flash episode. And then on the Arrow episode, you had Barry time traveling, which is a huge deal for Flash. And so it's, it's interesting if you think about if you're only a Flash fan or only an Arrow fan, I think you will have missed something. If you don't watch these crossovers, which is something we wouldn't have been able to do last year, they weren't able, they didn't have enough grounding, really, in the Flash to be able to create this sort of a crossover episode. So, um, Scott, I actually really liked the parts where it felt super crowded, just because I'm like, can we just have cocktail night at Ollie's place with the F- Legends of Flairo gang every week? Keeping like, up with I the, keep the, up the
1: Legends. Scene.
2: Yeah, right. I like the opening scene in... Uh, arrows where they get in the farmhouse and they're all talking and bouncing off each other i like that because i feel like it, it just it felt very justice leg to me and i couldn't help it and i really i really really thoroughly enjoyed this episode especially because the arc was so well done
1: yeah i i gotta agree uh, with it, you and me that you know even though scott does have a good point that there was a lot of characters but th- that's the beauty and that's very true yeah that's the beauty of you know as a comic book fan, I love it when I'm reading a Just Elite comic and I see all these members together in the same room and just have you know talking or you know talking about saving the world.
3: But or did you need all those? Did, I mean, how how big of a part did Diggle play in this? And Thea play in this? Yeah, but
2: Canary,
0: then the whole, and Canary
3: play in this.
2: Well, compared to the first time when they fought and didn't have them, apparently quite a lot. <laughs> um, but. See, for me, I feel like it was almost that the writers put them in there just so people couldn't say, "Yes, but where was Diggle? Where was Laurel?" But then again, we're all sitting here going, "Where was Iris?"
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a little rant on that a little bit later. Uh, No, but I like I said, I sometimes you know it's it's both a blessing and a curse in a way because sometimes you know it's. You know, you really want those characters just to be there, you know, even if they're not going to say anything. But at the same time, if they're not there, you will get, you know, aggravated by that as well and so on. But either way, I just enjoyed seeing that, you know, this is, because this is a big universe, you know, we're getting to a point where we have, like, you know, we have a lot of superheroes and supervillains and so on. So it's kind of cool to see these people come together together every once in a while. So I think I, I think uh, I agree with both you, Amy, and Scott, that it's like, you know, it was both a good... Maybe a little bit of a bad thing, but you know. But it's the same. How often do we get ensemble shows, and especially three of them coming? You know, where multiple members are coming together and just you know trying to save the world. Also, something Amy said that was very good. You know, even though I appreciated the crossover from last year and so on, and which also, by the way, that's when Amy made her first, when she made her debut on the Black Podcast. So, and I think that's almost like oh my almost, gosh, it's
2: an anniversary.
1: Amy, <laughs> Amy, that hashtag that um yeah so no but like i enjoyed this a lot more so i think you know in order to get this type of crossover we needed that first version of the crossover so where you know it started a little bit small but this time it started out a little bit more comic book game more powerful and so on so um so yeah i guess that's our our initial thoughts on the whole crossover event as uh, as a whole
2: so let's dive right in vandal savage what are your initial thoughts on the villain who might, I don't know, might out villain Damien dark, uh, Scott, we'll start with you.
3: Uh, I, you know, it's interesting that you mention him, uh, whether or not he out villains, Damien dark, I still think out of the three zoom is still the, the biggest bad in the room. Yeah. Um, You know, because he's just (laughs) freaking—he's just—he's terrifying, powerful, and you're you're, you're, just—you're—you're overwhelmed by uh, his power and your potential inability to stop him. And I understand that Vandal Savage is immortal per se, with obviously a couple of exceptions. Um, But you know, with him, it's all—I mean, they're—they're also very different in in how they kind of enter a room and 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 how they portray a villain. I mean. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm as intimidated by Vandal Savage as I am Zoom. But at the same time, they kind of approach, you know, their personality very different, obviously. I mean, with Vandal Savage, it's like it's like making an entrance and walking in and tell everybody how cool you are and then stab them. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom is kind of the abrasive guy that gets in there, talks like Dr. Claw and just messes you up and drags you through town. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think. You know, again, as I was saying before, I think this is a table setter, and I think you'll we'll really see more of, you know, what uh, Vandal Savage is as it relates to being a villain when we get to Legends of Tomorrow. I think really all I came away with here is just he's got a lot of knives, he's been around a while, and he's hard to kill, and he's got some swag to his, uh, and some ego to his power.
2: Lauren, your thoughts on Mr. Savage, considering he's going to be the big bad in Legends of Tomorrow. I, I think that is an interesting point.
0: I would agree with Scott that out of all the villains we've seen all four seasons of Arrow and, and one and a half seasons of The Flash, that so far Zoom is the worst, because I don't ever want to relive that moment when Zoom broke Barry's back. That was completely traumatizing. What's interesting about Vandal Savage is that He doesn't have, well, he's not a metahuman, so he doesn't have powers like a lot of the villains on The Flash, which I think that's why he works in the Arrow universe and the Legends universe, because he's not just someone with powers who, you know, can disappear or become invisible or anything like that. But he does have mysticism on his side, and he obviously has... The, the metal from the meteorite, which in the comics is called Nth Metal, which does have a lot of powers to it. And, I mean, obviously if he has this history of training Robin Hood and fighting alongside Genghis Khan, he's a military strategist. Like, he's great in hand-to-hand combat, and Barry really had to work his toes off to catch all those knives when Vandal was hurling them at everybody in the apartment. So he was a worthy adversary in that way. But I think the reason that Malcolm Merlin... Like, the reason the writers chose um, uh, the history to paint Vandal Savage against as someone who assisted Genghis Khan and someone who assisted Julius Caesar is that those were world-dominating military strategists. And that's the Vandal that we're going to see in Legends of Tomorrow. So he may not be the scariest villain in terms of hand-to-hand combat. And he's nowhere near as terrifying as zoom because zoom is just cray cray. But (laughs) there's something about his military prowess that he's learned over, over millennium of watching world leaders essentially dominate large parts of the globe. And based on the, on the video that Diggle found at Argus, that guy says that that savage is out to take over the world, or he's going to be the death of the world, and we know that's true based on what we've seen from the legends trailer. So, hand to hand combat maybe not as scary as Zoom, but in terms of military strategy, there's something about him where he's not just satisfied with like a small life. He wants everything, and my like the question that I want to know is why.
3: I mean, villain, villain presence and personality wise, I would say that. Z- that Vandal Savage is like Loki, and or maybe like General Zod, and Zoom is like Darth Vader.
0: Mm.
2: Okay, see that I can. That's see. a good analogy. That's a good analogy. I'm okay with that because, but they can all in your analogy, Darth Vader is the end game. All, but the rest can do some pretty serious damage. And I think we're going to be looking at some pretty serious damage that Vandal Savage is going to be causing in Legends of Tomorrow that he's already started to cause, but Lauren, you're exactly right. He's a worthy adversary. And um, we saw it tonight on, on the arrow episode, he won. And it was only because of Barry, God bless him, that they were able to, to try again. But ultimately he, did successfully win and I wonder what are the chances that that timeline where he won still exists and we visit that in Legends of Tomorrow because that would kind of fit with some of the scenes I feel like we saw in the trailer. But I don't know if we get established if the timelines that Barry leaves still exist. That still exist,
0: yeah. That's I don't a think good we... question.
2: Because that would, be, that would be a wicked timeline to visit. Be like walking through the nuclear devastated Central City and maybe not Star City.
1: <sighs> well, I, I, yeah, I, I'm just going to give my thoughts on uh, on Vandal. Um, you know, as you may have probably cut on by now, I've been super stoked about Vandal Savage since the day he got announced that he was going to be the villain. And then, you know, we saw the Cathy on Casper Crump, who look. David Robert does a lot of great casting choices, but this is by far one of the best ones he's ever done. Because I don't think Casper Crump is playing Battle Savage. I think Casper Crump is Vandal Savage because he looks like the freaking dude from the comics. It's like they just ripped him out of the pages, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, you know, he is immortal. He he, he is immortal, and you know, yeah. I no, I, I I'm gonna try, and, you know. Express it in a professional way but you know i think that in terms of adapting a combo character from the comics into live action i think this is one of the most well done that he had done like and like you guys said he is a worthy opponent and i this will sound wrong but i sort of enjoyed seeing the heroes getting their asses kicked by Amazon because that's how powerful he is he has lived for so long that he is we don't know what techniques he knows. He must know at least by a hundred thousands of them, and so on. He said he even he w- he had trained like some of these legends uh, in the past, and so on. he you know these legendary figures and so on. And he even mentioned Houdini, for example, at the beginning of the Flash one, um, you know, with the Cubs, for example. So, yeah, I think they nailed him like perfectly. He, you know, he's a great, enjoyable, and intimidating villain. You know, I'm still. Bleeping my pants when uh, whenever he gets terrifying and so on, and I like the voice. Everything about him was intimidating, and I think that's that's a great villain. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see him on Legends only. I know I'm going to be probably that's probably one of the top things I'm always going to be looking forward to in, in in each episode of the show.
0: So, what did you guys think about the introduction of Hot Girl and Hawkman? I know that we got a little a little glimpse of Kendra's wings when Cisco vibed her in the last episode of The Flash, but this arc really was about her. I mean, if you strip away um, all of the Team Arrow, Team Flash stuff, this two-parter really was about Kendra coming to terms with the fact that not only is she reincarnated priestess, but that she has power, she has wings, and she has a partner who she may not love yet because she's still getting to know him, but he has come for her, he wants to be in her life, and they do end up leaving together at the end. So, um, Andy, let's start with you. What did you think about Kendra's introduction and how she transformed into Hot Girl?
1: You know, I I know this will sound like a weird comparison, but something that this you know, that their involvement in these two episodes reminded me of was kind of like how Barry was used in the two air episodes in Season 2, like kind of as, you know, the mini backdoor pilot and so on, kind of getting, you know, because, you know, even though, you know, Kendra had been on The Flash a few more episodes before the crossover event happened, so I kind of felt it was, it was more in that vein of really establishing them, getting into their minds and so on. And it didn't feel rushed, um, but it didn't feel too much either. And so I think it was perfectly balanced seeing, you know, the flashbacks and, you know, her mastering, you know, kind of, you know, getting in touch with her her previous life. I kind of love the fact that in the past, you know, in her previous life, her name was Shaira and now she's Kendra because, you know, technically in the comics, you know, they're two separate characters from what I understand. Um, but if you want to learn more about Girl, you know, I, I would listen to that character spotlight on com, Shameless plug. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I think they I think they did a, a good job with her. Um, Hawkman! Now, that was interesting, because I'm still so used to the Hawkman on Smallville, who was played by Michael Shanks, but where he was more aggressive, you know, he had a more of a temper. To himself, and uh, this Hawkman was a lot more. It was like I it, I've i i thought a little bit about Hawkeye, from the like, you know like with the smoothness and the uh, the cocky ad- attitude and um, you know what he actually does look a little bit like Jeremy Renner. Now that I think about it, like they look like they could be brothers or something, and it's kind of funny because you know the actor uh, Falcone who played Hawkman, he was actually on. Either Shield as whiplash for an episode, so um, yeah. Like I, the way they wrote him, kind of remind me a lot about Hot Guy. And um, there's some DC character that I can't just I, I can't put my finger on which one I'm thinking of, but I, I like them. I think they they work so well together. And so and you know what's a little bit funny is that they started shooting Legends before they did the crossover, and so and on Legends, you know, they they're they're always supposed to know each other, and so and that's kind of interesting to see how they kind of like reversed. How, and they're you know exploring their dynamic, and um, but uh, I love I can we can we just gush about the wings for a second? Like I don't know why, but I'm like I was all over those wings, and uh, you know throughout the whole episode because they look so good visually. And even though I was you know hoping for maybe at least one scene where they were walking around with the the you know just the wings out, and so instead of flying you know they just go back in as soon as they you know. They, you know They're done flying or whatever. Uh, I just loved visually how they looked. And uh, um, I'm still trying to get used to the costumes. It's still so different from what we've seen before.
2: See, Scott, what of M- it... Oh, go ahead, Amy. No, I was going to say just real fast. I don't mind the costumes. I wish they'd spent more time on the wings i think they missed an opportunity for a gorgeous close-up of the feathers rustling very x-men the last stand with angel which we won't talk about that movie but i think they (laughs) missed the opportunity for a beautiful um moment where she stood there and the wings kind of fluttered in the wind and like close-ups and i feel like and i they had a lot on their plates like let's be honest they were filming both shows were filming for both times and then the post-production and then everything. So they had a lot to do in this episode, but it would have been really, really cool if they had, and maybe they will for Legends, but they already filmed it, had actual sets of wings that they used for close-up shots that weren't strictly computer animated. Because I don't think that there were any non-computer animated ones, and I would have liked to have seen some organic
1: Practical wings, wings like they did on Small of a Hawkman there.
2: Yeah, that's the only thing I can say. I completely agree with kind of your analysis of Hawkeye, man, dude. Um, he he was, as Cisco said, very aggro, which makes sense given <laughs> his character. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot of chemistry between Hawkman and Hawk Girl.
1: I, like, I like the, the banter. That that, that's what I was meaning.
2: Know that she's in love with him yet, so they're working on that. I think I I think it's a good start, but they've got a way to ways to go before I'm truly fully in love with Hawk Girl and Hawkman. But those costumes, man, and their powers—pretty wicked.
1: Yeah, I. No, I, I. Did you like the mask, by the way? Like the helmet
3: that they waited at. It?
0: Oh, those total. helmets are beautiful. I want one. Yeah, me too. And Scott, what about you?
3: Um, I yeah, I I don't have really any, you know, real connection to Hawkman right now. That might be intentional. Um, like I, you know, I I don't know what to make of him. He's a little underwhelming right now. Um, and I I, you know, again, you. huh?
2: I said, I tend to agree with that. That's a really good way to put it. Underwhelming. Yeah. But I mean, I
3: think, it. I think there'll be time. I mean, obviously there'll be time for that. Um, you know, as, as we go along, but you know, just, just for starters, I, you know, <laughs> not much, not much to say about him other than it is kind of interesting how he remembers everything and she doesn't. And I'm wondering if that's consistent, does he just always remember and she doesn't, or is there something that happened, happens each time that makes him remember before she does? Well, he has had more time. You know, we
1: don't know what he's been up to before he came to Central City, so he's right. probably,
3: He's probably had more time to
1: kind of access those memories. Oh, sorry, Amy, yeah, I
0: would, I would say that whenever the last time they died, he died first, and reincarnated first, and she was herself with all her memories, <laughs> and then he, she died. And when he like he had been reincarnated longer than her, which maybe we'll see that flashback. Maybe something had like Vandal killed him first, and then
2: she died later. Well, didn't he say though that it comes in different? Uh, sometimes she remembers first. Sometimes he remembers first. I think they said that on the flash part.
1: First come, that first it, serve.
2: That it no that it that it varies, and it might simply be where they reincarnate in proximity to say um, the Egyptian pieces so she had to travel to central city to to, she moved to central city to be because she was drawn to that egyptian piece maybe he happened to reincarnate into a place that was closer to it or maybe it is whoever dies first or dies last um or you know whatever but i wonder um i i think that they said that it kind of switches off and they don't know who's who's because didn't he say that it could be every possible variation they've gone through it one of those. We'll figure it out. It'll come up in Let in uh, Legends of Tomorrow.
3: But I think um I think the actress that plays Hot Girl, said Ciara Renee. Sure.
1: Yeah.
3: Um I think she's gotten better. I've gotten a, a little more invested in her and the more time that we've spent more so as her learning to be Hot Girl than just uh um, Kendra Saunders. Um but I I think uh, I think that's that's been pretty fun to watch. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where they take both of these people in Legends, because you know there's only so much, especially with this, as much time as they had and as many people as they had in this that they could fit in to get us kind of used to them. And I think there'll be a lot of t- uh, a lot more to like about them when Legends starts. All right. Well, after that we um, got to see Arrow and flash both of the teams come up with a way to take on vandal savage we got to see him do it twice <laughs> because uh one time it didn't work out so well but thanks to barry's time travel abilities they got a second opportunity and uh i think the other thing that really stands out about this is just how the team didn't seem to you know let the fact that this guy is supposedly immortal stop them from trying to defeat him anyway uh, they were bound and determined to come up with a way to stop him. And fortunately, like I said, they had uh, two opportunities to do it. So when it came time to, to um, engage that plan that they came up with to stop Savage, what did everybody think of the plan and how, they, how um, each one came out when the fight started?
2: See, for me, the thing that stuck out to me, was how how different it felt watching that, knowing that Barry was going to go back in time, if that makes sense. Because we saw the speed mirage. So our minds are already worrying that, okay, he's going to totally travel back in time. What are the situations in which Barry is able and willing to travel back in time? And the only times that he has been able to do that have been the points where uh, Central City is literally in impending mortal doom. The tidal wave, which was going to destroy Central City, and the uh, Egyptian nuclear bomb, which destroyed Central City. That's the only points where Barry is able to run that fast, which is something we could think about when he needs to defeat Zoom, but that's another conversation. And so that whole sequence, I was watching going, this is going to go so bad, this is going to go so bad, he's going to have to travel travel back in time, this is going so bad, but I didn't... <laughs> the moment where Oliver and Barry are both holding on to the staff and Barry says I won't leave you and Oliver's like run Barry run my total Sam Frodo bromance feels started going oh, and I I thought it was beautiful because these two have been through so much together and been there for each other for so long and I I honestly think that their friendship is one of the most rewarding friendships to watch on television right now because they're so incredibly supportive of each other with the exception of the fact that Barry cannot say no to Felicity. And so when she asks for something, he's like, oh yeah, here you go. Here's the paternal test that uh, Oliver was trying to hide from you. But getting back to that scene, that whole sequence with the time travel, I mean, talk about effects. We watched the entirety of Team Arrow and Flash totally just get destroyed.
3: It was almost like the nuclear um attack that you see in uh, Terminator 2. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what that reminded me of. Oh great, another that movie Andy hasn't seen.
0: That was traumatizing and
2: I don't ever want to see that again. It was insane. I mean they they which is this is why I love Flash. They go for an arrow. They're like, no let's do it guys. Let's not let's not have Barry just barely run back before he doesn't know let's literally have the wavefront of an egyptian nuclear attack follow him as he travels back in time which is interesting because it also that clarifies something about um barry's time travel ability i think um i wonder if he's when he time travels he's the only one who can time travel because i would i would assume that there would have been something from that sort of attack that made it back with him, if that makes sense. But I guess that's getting too deep into how much does the Speed Force let into the Speed Force. Well, you,
1: you do bring you know, a good point because he, you know, actually as, as he mentions to Oliver later on, he said, you know, every time I time travel, you know, something sort of still f's up in the end. So we may we may not have seen it. What this thing or person, I don't know. You know, may have followed him back and so on while he, you know, when he went back. But you know, but I don't think you're. I think you're. You're onto something. I think it. It's totally possible that something, will from this timeline, will follow him back into this new timeline that he have.
2: Lauren, you love time travel just as much as I did. Did you totally freak out when you saw the speed mirage? <laughs> you know,
0: I couldn't remember exactly why he was speed miraging like for half for like a microsecond and i was like oh huh is that another speedster and then i was like oh wait this is familiar this has happened before and it was really cool it was cool to see him speed mirage and i think my favorite like my favorite lines from the flash episode were all the one liners between felicity and cisco but i think my favorite line from this episode was when cisco said the first rule of time travel is we don't talk about don't time, travel. time travel <laughs> It's like a perfect mashup of Back to the Future and Fight Club, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. And so, like, for Barry, Barry just knew in that moment. And, like, that's what I love about Arrow. Like, The Flash has a very unique writing style. And, it you know, it always makes me cry, especially whenever there's Joe Barry moments. But Arrow has a very different writing style. And I, I've done enough research on this show just for my own writing To know that there's always a a theme that arrow writers um mirror in every episode so typically it'll be a mirror between the flashback and like the current day like a lesson that oliver learns on the island somebody in modern day arrow will also learn and because there are no flashbacks in this episode the writers were probably thinking about how can we really magnify our theme and the theme for Oliver in this episode, as always, was teamwork. And, and you see that laid out so clearly in that final scene because one, he's so distracted and upset about Felicity essentially breaking up with him that, you know, he's just in that, okay, you know what, I'm just going to go in this alone because I, I don't know who to trust and I'm really upset. So he doesn't take Laurel and Diggle and Thea with him, which was mistake number one. But then when he and Oliver, or when he and Barry are holding onto the staff, he tells Barry to leave. And so that's Oliver again, like tr- like trying to do, like trying to save the day by himself. But when they get the do-over, Oliver makes sure that his whole team is there. And then when he and Barry are holding the staff the second time around, They're like, no, I'm not leaving you. And I love seeing those themes play out. And I love that, like, the Flash's realm of time travel got to magnify those themes in this episode.
1: And something I was thinking about regarding Oliver is that, you know, know, look, I've been harsh on Oliver. You know, I was very hard on him. in season three but season four has been so far really good for him in this episode i love the fact that not only is he becoming more of the green arrow character that we know from the comics uh, that is not like Batman all the time but he's actually starting to accept this whole world now where it's like you know there's magic there's meta humans there's time travel there there are more people there are hawk people and stuff like that and I love that he kind of you know Embraces it and kind of like starts to kind of come up with ideas himself and so on. Like for example, there was that part with him and Cisco where he was the one kind of pushing for like, you know, like go into the, the non normal way, like, you know, use a more more super, you know, super way and so on. I like that he's kind of embracing it and so on because we've seen, as Malcolm mentions in the episode, you know, that he always still has a very big level of stubbornness. I like that Oliver is also evolving, and embracing that, you know, there are more ways to solve a problem. And Time Riddle is awesome, by the way. I'm so glad that they did did not reveal it in any of the trailers, because when we saw him, like, you know, the double flashes, I'm like, wait a minute. They're not doing this. There's no way... Oh, crap. They are. This is amazing. So I'm glad that it was... I'm glad that it was... Very much. There was a lot of surprises. That's why I'm. That's why I'm glad that you know, they didn't really show too much in the end of the trades and so on. Hashtag time travel is awesome. <laughs> but let's move on to what well, we just talked about. You know, Barry's time travel journey and so on. Um, and I think we pretty much covered most things there already. and um, the only thing I could think about asking is that you know. Does it start to feel like that Barry is becoming more in control of he of his time travel journeys or is it still much like it's still accidental all the time? Um Amy what do you think of it?
2: I think this one he was 100% in control. Mm. He knew what he needed to do. He knew he needed to run fast enough to outrun the not only outrun the um the impending doom but in out run fast enough to travel back in time, which we know that Barry, especially on the flash part of the episode, Barry has been struggling with the ability to run fast enough. And he's starting to realize, I think that, that there he can, but he has to know that he can, and he has to believe in himself. And so when he has that speed mirage and he sees himself, he knows that he'll be able to travel that fast. He knows he'll be able to run back in time. Um, and so I think he's going to, that's going to start to make a difference in his battle with Zoom. He knows that he can run fast enough. He, he just needs a push. And it's kind of similar to, it almost paralleled the, the sort of emotional push that Hawk guy was, Hawk man was trying to get Hawk girl to do. Um, and they, you know, you need a trigger for that kind of intense mental, physical, emotional activity. And so I think that Barry's finally starting to realize the secrets, not that the entire, oh, yeah, the secret to me running fast is someone's just got to destroy the city. No big deal. (laughs) Not the best secret, not the best trick, but Barry finally knows that he can run that fast of his own volition intentionally, not just accidentally like he did the first time. And I think that's going to make all the difference when he's trying to defeat
1: Zoom. Um, Scott, how do you think about... um... Barry's progression in uh, controlling his time traveling.
3: I mean, I I suppose, I mean, he's a a little more aware of it. I don't know how much control he has over it because it still seems to catch him by surprise. He just knows what it is when it happens now, you know, because he he tells Cisco about it after it happens. But when it happened that first time and he saw the mirror image, you know, it still kind of took him by surprise a little bit. And... When it came time to uh, go back in time and reset the fight again, um, I'm, I'm assuming that that was what he was attempting to do other than just run as fast as he could away from that explosion. Um, but the other thing I'm wondering is, was he in full control over the moment in time that he stopped at? Did he know... That he was going to run into that to that room and everybody was just going to be standing there. Does he have that kind of control? Or was that just a surprise? Was that just you know, where he landed? Or did he, um, when he finally stopped traveling, he just decided to go look for where everybody was? I'm just wondering how much control he has. How much he knows he can do.
0: I don't think he has any control over it at all. I mean... Obviously, he made the decision, okay, I'm going to push my speed as fast as I can to make sure that I reset the timeline. But I think at this point, it seems to be emotionally charged. Because like Amy was saying, it's only happened when the city was facing complete catastrophe. So I think at this point, it's still very new to him. And I think the writers will probably explore. I mean, they have a plethora of seasons ahead of them to explore how he can decide. But I think it's kind of like a break glass in case of emergency button because he doesn't like messing with the timeline. He knows the consequences, but he only uses it when he knows that he needs to, which is why I think it's somewhat connected to, I mean, it's kind of like sensing a disturbance in the force, like his emotions compel him to run that fast because he knows that if he doesn't all his friends will die.
1: So that's a part of his origin story that he will eventually you know get in control of you know this aspirin song where he will feel like you know he can just decide whenever he wants to and so on. because yeah there is still that kind of mixture of he is in control but at the same time it's like only if the city or the world is destroyed you know we may you know we may need a power on a different level as well not as drastic
0: so let's talk about Cisco I don't know about you guys but I think Cisco has been getting some really amazing storylines lately I love seeing him interact with Felicity in the Flash episode I love when he said it's always a pleasure watching you work Miss Smoke and I love when uh, he was giving her like a hard time about the engineering and everything I thought that was really funny but essentially he was the, the heart and soul of Kendra's transformation because in the Flash episode he goes up on the roof with her and he talks to her about how he had to come to terms with the fact that he was a metahuman but then again when carter is trying to train her he keeps trying to push her to be this angry rageful type person and that's not what's going to help her transform into Hawk girl it's only when cisco tells well i don't think he tells her that he loves her but like when he tells her how important it is that she's a nurturer and that she's kind. Like Cisco gets some really solid lines, like humorous lines, and he gets some really emotional moments in this episode. And I feel like I feel like all throughout season one I, I saw so many people on Twitter asking when is Cisco going to become vibe? When are we going to see this happen? And it's starting to happen and not in a, now he's this super villain who has these powers, but the fact that he can vibe people and sense people and help them tap into something. Cause if you, if you remember Carter says that he had never vibe, like he had never remembered all the way back to his first death. Like in the four thousand years they've been alive. He's never seen that first one, but Kendra was able to because Cisco like vibed with her to help her remember. So, like, what did you guys think about like Cisco's journey in this episode to help Kendra, like come to her true self?
1: Yoda, I keep thinking, I kept thinking of Yoda so many times throughout you know this you know the, you know on the Arrow part specifically just because of his mentorship and so on how he's able to. To help Ken so I know it's not the basic best example, although I was hoping to score some bonus points with Scott because I made a Star Wars reference. Um,
3: it's like our fourth Star Wars reference. Oh, well, I didn't make one yet. <laughs>
1: I hadn't I done the. Re- you can't no, think that's a you good thing. That's
3: always head. a good thing. I'm just surprised when we were talking about Hawkman wanting Hawk Girl to feel her anger <laughs> in order to uh, in order to uh, turn into what she's supposed to turn into. I was waiting for a Darth Sidious mention at that point in time. Okay, let me just be clear about something.
1: So I'm horrible with some of the Star Wars names. I'm still really new to the world of Star Wars, but I'm... So, super Super Episode Seven, but I would probably be the last person anyone would want to have on, on a Star Wars podcast. I'm just saying,
3: but uh, uh, that's all right. We still have more to do. We've got we've got uh, feedback uh, today with a th- with a Twitter name that's tied to Star Wars. Then, of course, we have Mark Hamill next week. So we've we've got more Star Wars references to come before yeah. we're done.
1: I just I just like I just like to make you proud when I make a Star Wars reference because I know how much you love Star Wars. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: But, but yeah, but I I got some Yoda vibes. Like he was kind of able to be there for you know he was an okay he, overall. He was a great mentor for Kendra. I love that he was the one kind of way how Fitz has been kind of like serving as a leader on Shield. You know, to some of you know the, his fellow agents, if you know what I mean.
3: I think Cisco would very much be very much approve of being compared to Yoda
2: and to Fitz. He and oh my gosh, Cisco and Fitz would be would that would be an interesting conversation
1: to watch. Cisco, no. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I loved about Cisco was that he was willing to sacrifice his happiness for the team, which is sad because poor Cisco hasn't had a love interest until he gets Kendra, and he finally has someone who he's really. The Very, hunter's kind of you know, digs him, though, a little
3: bit, doesn't she? Hmm? Doesn't isn't who is it? There's a villain that kind of digs him, though. Golden glider, Golden yeah, glider. Are... That's right.
2: <laughs> that that's that's not like, but yes, that that's not a real sort of relationship. No, no,
3: place. no, because but, she, but she she was she flirts him. and leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so she, see has you a, she has a
1: busy schedule you know being a super villain, super villain you know she right. has to go, go to you know legions of doom and stuff like that i'm just saying
2: so it, for me what i loved was was cisco's willingness to sacrifice for the team and he's always been willing to sacrifice for the team he's always willing to take one for the team and i it, it's it's shows a lot about Cisco's personality. It's interesting when I started watching The Flash, I didn't I liked Cisco, I thought he was funny. I didn't realize how much I would become endeared to him as a character. He really is just the heart and soul, like Lauren said, of Team Flash, whether whether they realize it or not, whether he realizes it or not. He brings so much to the team and he was willing to sacrifice happiness on so many different occasions tonight to help kendra find who she was and he did it in the most beautiful way possible so props to both the flash and arrow riders for writing such good cisco moments and also every moment where cisco was fangirling with felicity was about the greatest thing ever Smoke but there were, wasn't there wasn't there an ad lib didn't um carlos oh say uh,
1: about he, his hair condition conditioner
2: yeah the hair conditioner <laughs> moment. So Mr. Mister Mister uh, Mr. Carlos gets super points.
3: <laughs> Mr. Carlos. I mean, I, I, I just, I agree with what everybody said. I mean, I've always liked Cisco. The other thing about Cisco is, um, you know, everybody's, especially in the, when it comes to the being in the science room, and I think Felicity's kind of this way too, you know, everybody else is so technical and serious and, and, you know, if you hung out with them, you might get a little overwhelmed if you're not. Well versed in science, whereas Cisco's that guy that's you know, kind of cool and kind of can kind of hang with the layman folks, <laughs> and, and still be the smart science type, uh, and and not uh, not not make you feel like you're you have to be as smart as they are to hang out with them or or whatnot. But I mean, the other thing about him too is. He's uh, kind of the comic relief in a sense, but he's not the comic relief where he—that's the only purpose he serves. You know where, um, you know, because you also like what he brings um, to the team, and then you know moments like he's had in this, um, in this uh, last few episodes with Kendra, uh, that he can, you know, he can take on the romantic uh, a romantic role. He can take on a role where he needs to, you know, kind of. Pu- tone down the humor and be serious for the sake of the team or make a sacrifice for the sake of the team. He's really one of the more, you know, multifaceted characters, um, in the, uh, show, I think. And I think that's one of the reasons why people, uh, really connect to him and relate to him.
1: Yeah. There's multiple layers to him because, uh, if he was only a comic relief, I think even I, who loves Cisco in the comic books would drive myself a little bit crazy because he, you know, there's a certain point where just being comic relief kind of gets old. So it's important to kind of have both the dramatic element as well as, you know, the funny beat as well. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this will be fun.
3: So, amongst everything else that was going on in this episode, we got a little more depth to the whole situation regarding... Oliver's son, and um, I do think if this was going to happen in this episode, I do think it was good that Oliver finally does know that uh, that this happened and why he didn't know about it. Um, you know, it was—I thought it was smart what he did to run the DNA test and everything and find out if the child is his, and then of course find out what his mother did. What I don't understand. <laughs> Is when it came time, when when Felicity finds out about it for uh, the first time, and it causes this huge rift, and she gets upset and walks away, and you know I I, I find that to be a little I don't know I, I don't under I don't understand why this has to happen because um, I know the writers and producers were really kind of fired up about this dynamic. Because it was going to cause kind of a rift in a relationship that up to this point hasn't had any bumps. And, you know, after a while, if there's no bumps. It becomes kind of unrealistic. So I know they really wanted to create something. And I am glad that it, if anything, it did create kind of an interesting element as to why Oliver's head wasn't in the game. And it also created kind of an interesting moment where Oliver had two choices to say something, say the right thing to Felicity and chose not to both times. But what I don't understand is it seems to me, one of the things I talk about when we um, are discussing things about characters is what would these characters actually say and do under certain circumstances? And I don't understand. Once Felicity knew, you know, I know you went and got that paternity test and you have a son. I realized at that point in time, you know, He didn't really have any excuses, and it didn't make for a good conversation. But it seems to me things like, look, my mom paid this chick a million dollars to keep this from me. So you're finding out the same day I'm finding out. And give her the rest of the details as to why this is something he hadn't been hiding from her for, like, years, that he's just finding this out for himself. And I get frustrated at times when conflict takes place when I don't think it really has to because I think the moment he tells her something like that it absolves him a little bit it makes the situation a little better because he can literally say look I I haven't been hiding everything from you or lying I just found this stuff out for myself and the reason why I didn't know is because my mom paid this woman a million dollars to keep the secret from me and I think that's the type of thing that you can confide in your wife without having to create a situation where you force this character not to say something like that, just for the sake of creating a, uh, a rift in the relationship that you want to create in the story. Cause there's a trillion ways you could do that still and not leave people like me going, well, why wouldn't you just tell her a B or C? So while I can appreciate some of the things that it evidently did for the story, I just think the way we got there was a little odd because I think under those circumstances, Oliver, especially as much as he loves Felicity and has spent the entire season telling us how happy he is with her, doesn't make more of a conscious effort to say, "Look, this isn't about me lying. Here's here's more details." Because you know, it it doesn't come across as a lie if you've been if you tell her that up to this point you've been lied to as well. So, again, I, I understand what they're trying to do, but I get frustrated at times when characters are forced to do things I don't think they would do just to get us there.
2: I have to butt in. I totally agree. That's the first thing I would have said if I was Oliver. Be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just found out myself. Can't you give me a little bit of time to process and literally just found out that my mother lied to me yet again? That's the first thing I would have said. And so to me, I completely agree, Scott. I get what they're trying to do, but it frustrated me that it wasn't more realistic and that when it finally came down to it, Oliver still didn't take Barry's advice. And well, okay, this is also something that confused me. Did, was Barry advising Oliver to tell Felicity or was Barry advising Oliver to follow the same path that he followed before?
3: I think he because was advising her to tell Felicity.
1: Yeah. Okay. From what I remember, he okay. said, you know, don't, you know, you have a second chance now. Now you can, now you can do things better.
2: But wasn't he also saying that, that, that time, like that, that, the time tries to correct itself and always goes towards the same thing that happened before. So the same thing. No, that
0: happened I think he was just warning Oliver that the decision that you make is going to have ramifications and Oliver chose the wrong decision, and we're gonna see the fallout from that next week.
1: I also want to say I do agree with uh, with Scott as well, and so on. I, you know, and like I said, people, you know, two listeners out there, you know that I'm, you know, I have, I'm not, and I will be, you know, a fan of Felicity. But I will say this: this kind of confidence and so on, because you know, look, the one thing you have to remember about romantic relations and so on is, you know, for the the, the ones that you really want to see happen, those are your for and so on. Is that, you know, it's not going to be easy. You know, for example, me, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I'm a huge West Island fan, and I don't know if this is new information to you guys. But um, but the thing is, in order to get to that epic romance, you know, that epic OTP-destined, you know, iconic relationship, there has to be um, trials, there has to be obstacles, and in this... I agree, I agree with you, but keep it real. If we're thinking realistically how Felicity would have reacted. I think she would have, you know, first, you know, been a little bit angry at, at the beginning of so, on, but then, you know, maybe come back to it and say, okay, tell me what you know, and so on, because that's the thing. She didn't really give all, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, remember when Iris and Mama West had that discussion, and, um, oh my god, jitters, jitters. And she said, oh, I've done some investigating, and you have a son. And Francine is about to explain to her, or at least, you know, give her an answer, whether it's the truth or not. But Iris won't let her talk. It's kind of like what um, Felicity did to Oliver because if she had just kept her mouth shut just for one second, the, the thing that would have come out of Oliver's mouth may not necessarily have been you know, excuses or lies. He may have actually been on, on his way to tell her the
3: truth that well, but there was that moment though, where when she talked, didn't he like, didn't he like look away or something, and and was yes. okay. and really. Off-
0: <laughs> let, 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 let me just jump in here, just for a second, okay. <laughs> I, let me just jump in here. I completely agree with everybody, Scott. I totally agree that Oliver, all he had to do was say you know what i'm being you know paid off not to say anything and in that moment you know it felt like an eternity passed because i was just waiting for oliver to say something to her and he didn't and andy i agree with you in that TV relationships are never going to be easy. I mean, for anyone who's watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now, and you shit Fitzsimmons, like, we're all banging our head against a wall right now just waiting for them to finally get their happy ending, and you know, TV these days rarely lets people get happy endings, so I completely agree with both of you, but I think what, like, just listening to you guys talk and thinking about relationships in real life, like, real talk here, I, you know, I spend a lot of time with my parents. My Parents have been married for a long time. They love each other. They're amazing. But I watch them have conversations about important things, and the communication just breaks down. And I'm like, but I know what my dad's trying to say, but I I know what my mom's trying to say. And they just aren't communicating well. They aren't hearing each. Actually, like, it seems out of character for Oliver. And Twitter melted down. I mean, the Elicity fandom completely melted down tonight over this situation. Oh, yes, they did. So it's important (laughs) that we talk about this. Yeah. But it's actually pretty accurate to real life that people do not know how to communicate in moments of the greatest importance where they need to communicate. They just can't do it. Like, I watch people miscommunicate, love each other all the time so yes it seems out of character for them maybe it is just a plot device you know to tear them apart to set up the finale but i do think it's very realistic to say that people are never good communicators especially when love is on the line and oliver i think in that instance was completely speechless over what he just experienced and felicity was equally pissed that she didn't give him any room to process or to breathe
3: and also well as as sorry as the as the person in the group that is married. <laughs> hey, you don't know, you don't know me. <laughs> I, I will say that one of the things that you will absolutely take advantage of is a situation where you're in deep crap with your wife and there is a clear way out. <laughs> well, then, Scott, and you're that, a very rare man because I've never and that,
0: watched a man and, take the clear way and out. That,
3: and that is what Oliver has in this case, is he, he has totally a, does. he has a clear way out. Because here's the other thing. You're right. He has all kinds of things he's stressing about. And the way to keep himself from getting one more thing to worry about is telling Felicity, hey, the reason why you didn't get this um, paternity test news was I wanted to make sure that this was my kid, because if I worried you about a paternity test and turned out to be nothing, then I would have stressed you out for no reason. But I had to be sure first. Now that you know, you also need to know, I just found that out, found this out for myself. And the mother just told me that my mom paid her a million dollars to keep this from me. And without this paternity test, I still wouldn't know. So we're both finding out for the first time. It may not completely make everything 120,000% better, but it will make it better. And... Right, I...
0: but in, in all honesty, I've never heard a man say as many words as you just said in the midst of an argument in my entire life. <laughs> so, Scott, you're very what, good you what are we talking about here? I mean, this is turning. going is to turn a Blanche which... podcast. Yeah, exactly. No, I, th- I like. I think what Oliver did was very natural. He was stuck. He was frozen. He didn't know what to do, and now we get to watch the fallout from that because. Felicity doesn't know he's keeping the secret, so whether she finds out next week, whether she finds out in the spring, is going to be really interesting.
1: And something I just want to add up, by the way, is and if you she know... survives till spring. Ooh. <laughs>
2: oh.
0: <sighs> Sorry, because
2: <sighs> you know that that would be the perfect moment for them to just cleave our hearts in two.
1: Well, is
2: Felicity finds out, let's be, and then it, let's they be decide to forgive each other, and one of them
1: dies. I will say this. I will say this. Felicity pads. Here's a moment where I'm actually going to be defending her. The reason why I think she also got so upset is because, you know, look. There's been a lot of lies between these two. So, like, where Oliver won't tell Felicity and the entire team on, about stuff. And maybe this for her, this was felt feeling like, you know, we're going back to all BS. Where we still, you know, don't yes. tell each other everything. So, for once, for once in a very long time, I'm defending Overlord Smoke. Because I... Like I, said, I think they both had their good reasons for what they <laughs> did. You
0: just call her Overlord Smoke.
1: That, that's a. I think that's a good that because that's what she went with. Like remember that episode of Arrow where it's she was like, "This really is right. your Overlord Felicity Smoke," and um, <laughs> so. Oh my god! I'm gonna, I, I'm no, gonna... I
2: completely agree. I feel like it was a total step back, and I was I was talking to one of my uh, friend of the podcast Destiny. She put it perfectly. She said that it feels like him lying to Felicity is a step back in his character development, which it really is. They've gone from uh, keeping secrets all through seasons one through three to him finally opening up to her in season four and then taking a huge step back, which admittedly is human. You know, you and, and maybe that's just who Oliver is. Um, and so there's only so much you can do to hide yourself after years and years and years of being trained to keep secrets and 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 you know playing it close to the vest but i can i understand her reaction and we know that it's going to explode when she finds out
1: and once again i just want to make this perfectly clear, as I'm defending Felicity, I'm also defending Oliver, because once again, this time, Oliver did not, unless, you know, they reveal some in a weird, freakishly way in the flashbacks, you know, at the island, that he actually does have that experience, so on. This is a new territory for him. He, there's, you know, there's, there's no amount of training, or Salmon Ladders, or whatever F-training he has done to have him be prepared for what he's going through right now. And, can I just say, you know, as we move away from them, the Bomb, how adorable is Oliver as a daddy, like you know, to, to William? Like, I thought it was so cute when it were like, Hi, I met the Flash, he's pretty cool. And and I'm like, You know, because I, you know, whenever you see Stephen Mellon on his Facebook page with his um, daughter, uh, what's her, um, Amy, what's her name?
2: Uh, Maverick,
1: Maverick, uh, Maddie, Um, she's so adorable. Uh, and just seeing him interacting with the kid was. Also, very precious. I know a lot of comic fans are still pretty pissed off that this is not Connor Hawk, um, and that the mother, whose name is Samantha, which I kind of. I sort of laugh my ass up that it's like, oh, it's a name that starts with S and A but go the different direction. Well, I know why they couldn't make Cassandra Hogg, but I can't say it on air. So, um, so um, But like I said, we will we will be getting Connor Hogg on Legends, but not as the son of Oliver Queen. But like I I just thought it was cute. I thought it was, like I said, we look at where Oliver has been since the pilot episode in season one to where he is now. I'm loving this Oliver Queen. This feels like, like a green arrow to me. So I'm just I just wanted to put it out there because I thought it was a very precious moment. Um, it, does anyone else want to add anything about the interaction with the kid?
0: It was just really sweet to watch the kid play with those action figures. Oh, he has a wrong because... one, he should
1: have a Flash one with a white and gold symbol. That I'm like, you know, do kid like you? <laughs>
0: yeah, but yeah, but they haven't made that one yet. It's not in.
1: You don't know yet, that. I don't think.
0: I know, but those are the, like, you can buy those toys. Like, every time I go to the comic book store, you can see them on the shelves. So it was really cool to see him play with toys that, like, we get to play with at home. And it's really cool to think that his son is like a superhero fanboy and loves the Flash and had the Flash Day poster up in his room. And that he got to say like I know the flash I've met the flash before it was a really it's a really tender moment and like I think Stephen Amell can bring that tenderness as a dad because he is a dad and like he just had that look in his eyes like when he was in the car and he saw the kid like he just went right over to them and had to talk to them and I think um Kreisberg did an interview when they were hosting the screening for this episode, and he says that like they didn't want to name him Connor Hawk because they're saving that storyline for some time in the future. So,
1: Okay, so let's talk about one of the final aspects of this episode. What the Barrowman. Um, as Vandal Savage gets destroyed, um, at the end of the episode, and for once a post credits scene that is not about Harrison Wells... Um, he wasn't even in part two from what I remember, right? No, he was. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He no, he wasn't. W- okay, okay. Well, you know, good for him. Um Malcolm picks up uh, Vandal's dust and says, "Some I don't know." He was like,
2: "You owe me one, buddy."
1: Now, how ha- like- how do we? Because we we obviously we all knew that you know, there's no way that you know they're just gonna be done with Vandal. Address his crossover because you know <laughs> he's the big bad of Legends of Otherwise Mark Pettowood would probably be able to I'm like wait did you just kill off the big bad of the, the new show I just picked up for 16 episodes? Um, Scott what do you think Malcolm is up to? Like, What do you think he has in store for um, Mr. Savage?
3: I don't know. I don't know why he's interested in bringing him back. Um, the only thing I thought of which is probably a curveball. Um, you know, I, I I don't know that Malcolm does anything that uh, doesn't serve some sort of self-interest. Um, you have to think that Vandal Savage is one of the only people that could defeat Damien Dark.
2: Ooh, that's really good. Scott, I am totally on board with that theory because when we, when, when I got a chance to interview Neil McDonough at Heroes Villains Fan Fest, he kind of sort of accidentally let slip that there is a confrontation coming up between right. Damien Dark and Malcolm Merlin. That is such a good point. You're, I bet you that's what it is or maybe and, or there's something to do with Vandal Savage's um, time traveling gobbly goop <laughs> that somehow um, Malcolm is going to use him to influence the past or the future and I think that the one thing that Malcolm would change, the only thing he would change, was he would bring Tommy back somehow, yeah. which everybody would love to see. But um, I think I think your theory is the most realistic because Damien Dark is the only person right now that Malcolm fears.
1: So there's a little, there's a big thing that we need to talk about. That is actually one of my criticisms of uh, this whole crossover event, and um, which is the the lack of Iris West, and as well as. You know, actually, Laurel, you know, I think, you know, we're, this was a good example of where, you know, both t- both shows' leading ladies are not being utilized. And, yes, I know that in, in, the, in part one, they explained that Laurel was visiting her mom, but how convenient they had to do it this week out of all of them. And Iris gets only one line in the whole crossover event. She's not even in part two. And, you know, as someone – look, I get it. She's a reporter. She's working at Picture News. She can't just up and leave – and go to Star City. You know, Joe didn't go with them, you know, so that makes sense, you know, and Patty didn't go either. So, um... But still, it's still a little bit bothersome that you know they took this whole big time throughout season one of really getting her into the team Flash, but yet she and this has been an issue throughout season two. She's still being put a lot in the background. She's not the one that gets to express a lot of her emotions and her thoughts and so on. She's just sometimes there just to just be there. That's some, some, one of the issues, and I think Laurel is uh, being put through as well. And you know, but you know, it, it is really bothering me, and I know that it's bothering a lot of fans as well. And so because you know, for something like a crossover event. You know, yes, you have the reporter who can't you know, can't just leave every you know a, you know the city just to go another city every one, every one she wants. But these are talented writers for something like a crossover event when both shows get interact with each other. I think the writers could have tried a little bit harder, and I don't think they did it at all.
2: Yeah, I. I tend to agree with it. Not necessarily about the Laurel part. I think that she was utilized as much as they were uh, you know, physically capable of. But yes, I don't necessarily understand why Iris wasn't in it. At least just for a little bit. She didn't have to be in a whole lot. But it would have been nice to see just a little bit. Maybe she's the one who actually owned the farmhouse. Maybe she came to see the Arrow Cave and wanted to hang out with uh, you know, Felicity. It would have been nice to see her a little bit, but I mean, I, I, I understand that when you're sitting down and you're drafting a show with all of these characters, there comes a point where you're so saturated with not only main but supporting characters that it's kind of overwhelming. But at the same time, it would have been nice to at least have a mention of her and of, uh, and we, we got Joe, we got Patty, yes, we didn't see. get.
1: And you know what's bothering me as well, now that we've seen both parts? What the F did this whole Jay and Harry speedy formula thing have to do with anything with the cross? I think that thing... You, Lauren, Lauren, I know you love Jay and I you know you love Teddy Sears. I love them too. But they could have cut out Caitlyn's role and Harry's role and t- Jay's role in part one. It had nothing to do with the whole crossover as a whole.
2: Yeah, but then we'd be sitting here going, where was Caitlyn? Where was Wells? What about Jay?
1: Well, you know, with given the fact that Caitlyn is not in the same position as Iris where she you know I don't think there's ever been a lack of Caitlyn, while well, as a, with, with Iris, there has been this whole season so far. So so yeah, I think you can make a better case for Iris, you know, like why why she, you know, for once, you know, maybe Caitlyn could have sat on something. Heck, she wasn't she wasn't part two, you know, that that could have been good. Like if Iris had been in maybe part one and then King Landed
3: in part two, I, something like that. But it's for all intents and purposes, I don't have much of an opinion on it. It doesn't really phase me a whole lot. So you, uh, ha- so you hate part- Iris, then? That that's what you're saying. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> like, I'm just saying no, it doesn't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It doesn't. It doesn't really phase me for a couple of episodes. Who's in and who's not? Especially after I said in the beginning, there was quite a few people they had in this thing anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. As
3: far as Harry and Jay, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. As far as it not playing a role in the uh, crossover event itself. But I have a feeling there's still a purpose there for that, that we just don't know yet, that the writers felt they had to set up right at that moment. It was kind of a now or never thing. And it might be something as simple as we got to get Jay back into the fold. We got to make him and Harrison have kind of, or him and Harry have kind of a, a moment where they're not, you know, absolutely hating each other and refusing to work together together. We got to create something so after this episode and this, this, this happens, we can come back to that without having to have them reconcile later. So it's true that they may, that it really didn't have a huge impact on the crossover event, but it might be something that they put in there for a reason. Because at that moment, as far as what they're doing for next, the second half of the season, they needed to create some sort of situation to have. Harry and Jay reconcile and bring Jay back into the fold. We just don't know why yet.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Andy, I think I I hear you because you love Iris. And so you want to see her in everything and understandably. So she's fantastic. I think the, the one remedy to her not being featured in either of these crossover episodes in a big way is that next week is her big episode with Wally West. So um, I, I hope that Iris West fans don't see this as, She's not important enough for a crossover, but instead see this as they're saving her emotional arc for the winter finale, and and a winter finale has just as much weight in my opinion as a crossover episode does. Um, uh, in terms of Jay Garrick, you agree with that? Okay. Um, in terms of Jay Garrick, Teddy Sears did an did an interview for the. Um, for the screening of this crossover episode. And he got to talk about why it was important for Harry and Jay to have those moments together and whether or not it fit in the crossover. I think it did kind of keep the flash episode grounded in what the Flash is dealing with at that time, which was Jay Harrison Wells from Earth Two and Patty Spivot, and I guess Velocity Six is the name of the serum that Caitlin and Harry develop, mm-hmm. which is a reference to the comics, which has something called Velocity Nine, and apparently they the showrunners are really teeing up the possibility of more speedsters coming into the universe. So, uh,
1: more hopefully more female speedsters along with Jesse Quick.
0: Right, so Jesse Quick, maybe that's how she gets her speed, but maybe that's how Wally West gets his speed because we know he's coming next week. Um, the other thing I was going to say was oh, so the Flash episode, it stayed grounded as a Flash episode because of that storyline, but the Arrow episode stayed mm-hmm. grounded as an Arrow episode because of the Merlin influences. And even though Merlin was in the Flash episode, the like something that we did not talk about that I do want to touch on very quickly is Merlin's threat to Oliver. And Merlin essentially says, if any harm comes to Thea, I, you will you will beg me to bring you Vandal Savage because I will decimate your entire life. And that kind of makes me wonder <laughs> If Merlin is going to send the League of Assassins after Oliver, if and when Thea dies, which is oh. what could happen next week, you mean? Dude. You mean
1: her dying? You mean that's what you, you think that she? You know? Yes. Well, yes. No, I, I think I don't I, think they I, can I think that... because of the six months. The six months time that's the thing of up any possibility like when a certain thing can happen and so on. Because it's still like just it's still only three months in their. Period in their world because they're following our timeline. So I think something drastically is going to happen to one of the major characters, but I don't think anyone's going to die because it will not fit in with what we saw in the season premiere of Arrow. I, I just want to add one thing, by the way, to the, um, the Iron thing and so on. Yes, you're right. A winner finale is just as big a, as a crossover. But here's the thing we have seen that, you know, marketing, photos, trailers hint that, you know, there's going to be big emotional things for Iron and so on. But the last time they did that, they cut it, um, which was, you know, when she found out about her mom. And I think it was, was it episode three or episode four when I was like. Really pissed off that a certain big scene had gotten cut and so on. That's the thing. It
0: was it was the scene with Barry and Iris that yeah. that they cut, uh, but they didn't cut the scene with her and Joe, which was more important. So I don't think they're going to cut anything well, from they, the Wally West. They, scene they better
1: though. not because they cannot have Wally West be a, a footnote when this is his li- yeah live. I act- don't
0: think Wally West would ever be a footnote on the Flash. I don't yeah. think you have none.
1: Brain. None of the West should be a footnote. Like, the, next week, they should be thirty five percent of the of the rogues, uh, and then maybe the rest of it be the Christmas themed and the whole walla thing and so on. Because <laughs> if they have it up next week, boy, am I gonna have some thoughts. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of address it because so Because yes, I agree with a lot of fans out there that you know that both the female leads of these shows, uh, whether you like them or not, are not being used as much as they could be. And I think maybe the writers, as I respect them and I love them, and you know, I can't criticize him too much, but I think maybe just try to divide things a little bit better. But we're starting to run out of time. So Lauren, let's bring up that little thing that you want to talk about regarding 1976.
0: Okay, so for those of you that have seen the Legends of Tomorrow trailer, you know that that show is going to take place in different time periods. They, You can see Canary and Firestorm and Martin Stein wearing the bell-bottoms in the 70s clothes. So we know that that's the time that they're going back to. Well, the video that Diggle finds that he gets from Lila, the Argus video, Video, um, is made by a professor. His name is. Where did it go? Okay, I lost
1: it for a second. I, I, anyway, I'm the... pulling up the link. But he's going to be a kid on Little Tomorrow. And um...
0: yes, so it may have seemed like, "Huh, who's this weird guy on this video?" I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Well, he recorded that video on April 8th, 1975, and essentially he has been following the storyline of Hot Girl and Hawkman and Vandal Savage.
1: Um, Okay, Dr. Aldous Bordenman is his name.
0: Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so he records this video on April 8th. Obviously, Argus was able to get a hold of it and store it for a certain amount of time. Well, he says very specifically that Savage will be the death of the world, but that there is a way to stop him. And I I have a very strong feeling for anyone who has seen Dr. Who. And if you guys have seen the episode of blink where that young woman finds a videotape of the doctor saying, don't blink, don't do this. And she spends the whole episode trying to figure out like, how could he send her this video if he has never met her before? I think we're going to see something like that in legends where Maybe um, Carter and Kendra meet this professor in 1975. Maybe they tell him what they know about Vandal. And then they tell him, hey, you have to go record this video because we need to see it in 2015 in order to stop this guy. I think it's going to be a really cool way to connect these universes.
2: Yeah, I'm totally game with that. Lauren and I, 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 I know that we kind of both freaked out at the same time. We're like, what time does this video take place? Is this in the 1970s? Because that's where they're going in Legends of Tomorrow. Um, and so I I like that idea a lot, Lauren. I think that'd be really fun. I also kind of at the end, I I, I, I almost wanted the video to like phase out as the professor was maybe being attacked by someone and all of a sudden you just a glimpse <laughs> of White Canary and Sarah Lance or something like that, or like the camera falls over and we see Sarah Lance fighting. Because I think that they're totally going to interact inter interact with this professor um, for sure and, you know that's that's the difficulty with time travel rip hunter tells them explicitly in the trailer you cannot screw around with time travel we have one mission one mission only vandal savage nothing else can be touched and they're totally going to pull a 12 monkeys issue we're trying to make things better actually ends up making things so much worse so I wonder, this is going to be so much fun, but it's going to be a fun little tie-in, cute little Easter egg that they added in for us. Thank you, Legends of Pharaoh writers. You're all fantastic.
1: I'm just so glad people ca- caught on with the fla- hashtag, Legends of Pharaoh, which came by yours truly. Just saying. It's a good name. You know, like some people were using Pharaoh of Tomorrow. I'm like, no, bye, Felicia. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, to kind of sum up our thoughts on this crossover, any final thoughts about Legends of Pharaoh? Volume two, basically off the uh, the crossover. Like your absolute favorite moment, anything. Go for it.
0: Um, favorite moment: Felicity and Cisco in the Arrow Cave, totally appreciating each other's geekdom, and when Oliver called Cisco, Felicity, and Caitlin the Geek Squad.
3: <laughs> Scott. All right. So, are we talking closing thoughts or a favorite moment? You can you can pick.
2: Just do a favorite moment because I'll do that too, and it'll be a good conclusion.
3: I can't think of one. Uh, I I how about this? I'll wimp out and say one of the, one of the best moments was um, when Vandal Savage first shows up and throws all the knives, and Barry runs by and catches all the knives.
1: That was awesome. And Amy, what's your favorite? Every
2: single moment where Oliver and Barry were fighting together and bromancing together. Not not chipper nothing romantic about it they're just it it reminds me so much of sam and frodo and merlin and arthur and peggy and jarvis almost they've become these perfect partners
1: girl i'm getting me emotional moment, right now because oh my god <laughs> sam and frodo
2: <laughs> the moment where they're both holding the staff and they're like we're not leaving each other and where oliver i think my favorite moment was oliver turns to barry and says run barry run and you're like oh gosh my heart is bleeding out onto the ground. It's like if Fred, it's like when Fred Frodo. I forgot his name. It's getting late, guys. It's it was just a total Frodo Sam moment. Okay, I can't carry I, it,
0: Mister
1: Frodo. But I, can't but carry. I can't carry you. <laughs> oh my God! What are you guys doing to me? Oh, that I've seen those movies so many times, like and extended versus as well. Uh, my favorite. Oh Jesus Christ! My favorite moment was yeah, it was also anything with Barry and Oliver. Right? You know, you know what? You know, I will, sh- I will make a shipping out of this. Flaro is the OTP of the whole universe. GG, have fun. And that's going to wrap up our thoughts on this awesome crossover between Arrow and The Flash and us Tomorrow. Now, let's get through some quick feedback because we're
3: all tired. And this will be a long episode for Andy to edit. So, uh, First off, we have at MBets199 who says, It was awesome. I knew it was going to be good. But even better than I could have thought. Great job. At Destiny 1819 says, it was great, but do you think it was out of character for Oliver to lie to Felicity after all the progress he has made? They were both I out of character.
2: thoroughly discussed that in this episode. <laughs> no, they,
3: they, they answered that question were,
1: to some degree. They were both out of character, so.
3: And remember, it wasn't so much lying as much as it was not saying enough was really what...
2: Lying via omission. Yeah.
3: Okay, here you go. At Lord underscore Darth underscore Yoda. (laughs) If you you can't pick Darth Vader or Yoda, why not just merge the two together? Uh, It says, I have a feeling it's Oliver's son in the grave. Keeping it a secret means Dark will find out. Oh, my God. Uh, At Call Me Topes or Topes says, Time travel rules and Merlin. Freaking Merlin, that is all. I thought it was better than I had thought it'd be, and it made my day better. Felt bad for Ollie. Loved the time travel.
2: At Retro Rock City said, it had everything I was hoping for and more, other than the final fight being a bit longer in a perfect world. Hashtag Vandal Savage. Yeah, I'd be cool with a much longer fight. Uh, At JustDoug77 said, the episode was amazing. Great moments for everyone. C.R. Renee is going to be a star. At Crispy47. What's up, Crispy? That was an amazing episode. <laughs> Love the intro of Savage. <laughs> it's a great. I had a friend named Crispy. Well, he's a, he's, well this anyway, is a good
1: friend of ours, yeah, Chris Barnes. He
2: says it's a good name. He said that was an amazing episode. Love the intro of Savage. Best villain intro ever. Mm-hmm. The addition of Hawkgirl Girl and Man is great. At FairyVamp76 said it was awesome. So much happening. I'm having a lot of worry for that kid, though. There we are too. And at the Kiev said I didn't expect watching the main cast of both shows die would be so <laughs> cool looking.
1: Die, but it yeah. was
2: kind of cool looking. Like you got to admit it, the Egyptian nuclear shockwave, kind of cool.
1: Yeah, like yeah, you know, sh- you-
2: Shout out to Armin and the whole visual effects team because Ooh. that yeah, was amazing. Follow him at There's- Armin VFX. By the way, if you guys go to the CW Arrow Twitter page, they tweeted out probably my favorite GIF that I've ever seen them tweet out ever. It's Barry running with the shockwave right behind him on the street. Looks spectacular. I wish I could just get it as like a Harry Potter moving photograph to put on my wall. At Kiana L92 said it was spectacular but was lacking in Iris West scenes.
1: Preach girl at
2: Mike Schmidt. Oh, nine said he loved this set of crossover episodes. The backstory was Savage and Hawks was perfect, was a perfect to their comic counterparts. Barry once again, proves that he is a noble hero that can inspire others. Watching the heroes battle Vandal Savage made me feel like I was watching a pseudo justice league in combat. Plus the final moment of Oliver telling Barry, we won't leave you, just gives me the chills. Can't wait for Legends of Tomorrow.
1: Wait, I just came up with another favorite moment. When Diggle threw up after being, you know, speeded by Barry. I (laughs) I could, I lost my... I
2: forgot about that. I I forgot about the whole... I completely forgot about the Thea not getting affected by... A a Damien Dark thing oh my gosh we completely forgot about that moment that's Arrow
1: he was like what was that
2: (laughs) yeah he really liked that was cool this is the moment where they finally have the crossover where if you don't watch the other part of the show because you don't watch the show you're gonna be missing out on some things
1: Amen. All
2: right, that covers it for the feedback section.
1: Yeah, and that's thank been, you, twelve tweeters. Exactly. It was this was so much fun talking to you guys on Twitter as we were live tweeting this? But um, but yeah, we're gonna wrap up this ep- this part of the episode. We're gonna do, and I mean it, quick plugs. Got, um, Scott, what's coming up on your on all, of, all your shows on the AssemblyGeeks.com?
3: <laughs> quick, uh, yes, real quick. Uh, on Assembly of Geeks this week, the show just went live. Uh, we talk about some fan reactions to um, to George Lucas, specifically rooted in uh, the interview he just gave about his feelings uh, regarding the split, or, uh, or selling off Disney and splitting from Star Wars. Uh, we also talk about the uh, Twitter back and forth between fans and uh, J.K. Rowling about uh, Severus Snape, and uh, a variety of other things. Um that's on Assembly of Geeks. And then on uh, Comic Book Noob this week, we are talking Supergirl. So that's what's happening at AssemblyofGeeks.com.
1: Amy, quick. Um, aside from uh, hosting Assembly of Geeks, Pig Art Podcast, what else do you do and where can people find you online?
2: You can find me online at Amy underscore Marie 97 on Twitter and Instagram. And besides Assembly of Geeks and the Flash podcast, and possibly seen a nerd this week, I'm not doing a whole lot else of the nerdy podcasting except for connecting with a whole bunch of the fans that I met at Heroes Villains Fan Fest last week. So, to all of them who somehow miraculously found me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, you rock. And you rock. Try to get those hats.
1: Yes, and um, also you can check out uh, all the photos she posted on the Facebook page and uh, her awesome interviews. Uh, and the one time when Aaron and the Muppets uh, is in the same context. <laughs> I cried laughing to that. Lauren, what are you doing and what can be behind you online?
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at Lauren Galloway. I will be co-hosting the Peggy Carter podcast with Scott and Amy this coming January. We're also having an exclusive interview with Haley that goes up December 21st. You can follow us at Assembly of Geeks. Uh, Andy and me and Amy and Scott also contribute to the Marvel Report for those of you that love Marvel, which is at the Marvel Report on Facebook and Twitter. And you guys obviously love The Flash and Arrow, and I had the pleasure of recapping both uh, both cross of our episodes this week. So you guys can find that if you just Google comic book resources, follow me on hitfix where I get to break a lot of really cool news as well.
1: And you can find us podcast on the flashbug.com. Any social media that is out there, the flashbug is that you, that's where you can find us. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Email us at the flashbug at gmail.com and we're part of the DCDPogget.com network for now. Let's do the quick jurisdiction we've ever done. So, thank you everyone so much for listening to our episode, and if you're not taking up for the spoilers, for all of our team members here on The Flash Podcast, I'm Andy B. I'm Scott Murray.
0: I'm Amy Marie. And I'm Lauren Galloway.
1: And we will see you next week for the winter finale of The Flash on The Flash Podcast. <laughs>
3: Same thing to see the flash dead. What makes you think you can stop him this time? Three against one. Ho, ho, ho. What do you say, speed freak? You want to roast chestnuts?
2: Time for on Christmas. this official, Santa hates us.
1: And what you just heard was the audio from the trailer for the fall finale of The Flash, titled Running to Stand Still, which will be a huge one for all Flash fans out there. And Amy is going to read you the massive packed episode description.
2: Mark Hamill, Wentworth Miller, and Liam McIntyre return. Kenyon Lonsdale joins the cast as Wally West. When Mark Martin, a.k.a. the Weather Wizard, returns to break Leonard Snart, a.k.a. Captain Cold, and Jesse James, a.k.a. the Trickster, out of Iron Heights, Barry must stop these rogues from taking over Central City during Christmas. Meanwhile, Joe and Iris meet Wally West. Kevin Tancreon directed the episode, written by Aaron Kreisberg, a.k.a. Awesome, a.k.a. the awesomest... Flash dude ever, aka
1: aka A- 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 aka Jessica Jones.
2: <laughs> you 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 misspelled three names in that. Description. Yeah. Kevin... <laughs> misspelled or mispronounced?
1: Mispronounced. Kev- mispronounced. Kevin Tancharoen and Andrew Kreisberg. And what was the third name?
0: Oh, she just mixed up James Jesse. You said Jesse James. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, what is everyone looking forward to seeing in the fall finale? I'm just gonna say Wally West, Wally West, and West Island stuff. Scott, what are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, you know, do you like that Mark Hamill guy? I heard he's doing some big thing in December.
3: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Mark come back. I Also, am I the only person that when I saw the... I probably am. That's my guess because it's a Joshua Treat reference. But <laughs> when I saw Running to Stand Still, I immediately thought of the U2 song.
1: <laughs>
3: Lauren, what are you looking forward to seeing?
0: Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the trickster pretend to be santa claus and weather wizard dang i can't talk either weather (laughs) weather wizard make it snow on christmas i think i mean that trailer was really creepy because it had the dainty christmas music in the background it had mark hamill in the beard and he looked like santa i think it's going to be a really fun christmas episode
1: and amy i guess you're looking forward to all things pivot allen
2: uh, yes. That moment in the trailer where the Flash and Patty are back to back fighting together.
1: I smell super hard
2: happy. Um <laughs> I just I, honestly I'm such a sap for Christmas. I anything Christmas themed, Christmas episodes, winter episodes, the spirit of the season episodes, I get totally invested in so i'm i'm just excited to see team flash with christmas again and i really hope that it ends up being a tradition and that every year they do a christmas episode because it will make me very 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 happy but yes i'm really kind of sort of waiting for Spivet allen or batty as some people are calling them to kiss under the mistletoe
1: well i have a feeling that there's some trouble in paradise and i say with a smile on my face i am the Grinch of this podcast so and that's gonna wrap up our thoughts uh, on <laughs> the episode as well as the previous section for next week's episode guys Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Do not miss our discussion, and do not miss the finale, the fall finale of The Flash Season 2, because the rogues and Wally West, you don't want to miss it, for reals. Have a good one.